Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 131 of the Line of Vienna Street podcast. My name is Tom Jenkins, and I'll be taking the reins from Will Jones as host for this podcast, whilst our very own Mr. Bolton takes a step back from the site. Uh, he has, however, written a very, very good piece this evening, Sunday 16th of February, which I would encourage you all listening to us to read, as it carries a very important message about mental health. Having said that, we're going to be talking tonight about something that has probably not had the most positive effects on our own mental health in recent times, and that is the weird and frankly never wonderful world of Bolton Wanderers. Uh, it's been some time since we last spoke to you, January the 2nd, I think, just after we lost 4-3 to Burton Albion because of issues with the recording and differing schedules and you know general laziness on our part which we apologise for, but we are now back and I have my first guest to thank for this, Mr James Jarvis, our in-house technical whiz. How are you, mate? <laughs> Very nice introduction. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm alright, obviously, except for all the results that have been happening with Bolton Wanderers, but in general, I'm alright. Good, that's what we like to hear. I don't think anyone is feeling particularly positive about Bolton. The moment, mates, you're not on your own. <laughs> My other guest this evening is a man so popular amongst Wanderers fans that I've heard on the grapevine they even sing his name at away game. Mr Chris Manning, how is the adoration of the masses treating you? Uh, it's it's a new sensation, I'll be honest with you, but hey, if it, it distracts from the football and the quality of which we're, we may be debating a little bit into tonight, mate, so it's obviously, uh, <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, exactly, you have to take the uh, rough with the smooth. Anyway, let's get into it. This week has been fairly dire, I think it's fair to say, lads. Uh, losing 2-1 in the last minute away to Coventry last Saturday. An absolutely horrible defeat to Doncaster Rovers, given the animosity between the two sets of fans by the same scoreline midweek. And 2-0 home defeat to Wickham yesterday. James, it's been awful, hasn't it? Uh, it's been absolutely terrible. I, I had to miss both of the away games due to just financial reasons and the fact that I really could not be asked going to Coventry or Doncaster in all honesty but uh, just seeing how how dire everything was at the Wickham game as, as my frankly controversial ratings today have pointed out as, in my opinion it's just it's just been one dreadful thing after another and uh, it, it, it doesn't it, I'm not seeing too many signs of it frankly getting better anytime soon which is which is just one of the most worrying things to think about no, absolutely, man. I think it's awful. Um, Chris, you, I would imagine, would have seen all three, maybe on the dodgy box and in person yesterday. I presume it's got gradually worse, in your opinion, since the Cov game. Yeah, and I think the, the most frustrating bit for me is the fact that there are, there are moments, there may, it may only be moments, but there are moments in all three of the games where, with little green shoots of hope, even just a couple of minutes here and there, or, or maybe a little bit longer than that on Saturday, Five ten minutes, perhaps. You know, we actually have got the 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 makings of an half decent side somewhere in there, but then we're just undone constantly by mistakes, be they of our own making, be they of ones forced upon us by better quality opposition, or those that we don't anticipate because for whatever reason we we don't seem to come out of games in the second half and play particularly well. Uh, so, like James said before, it's worrying the fact that things are uh, are getting steadily worse. I think we'd have hoped with Hill have been here for what six or seven months now that he would have had a handle on the squad and had a handle on the division because I, I mean, that's what he was brought in to do. Um, and it's just, it seems to be getting worse, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, perfect segue into, I think, what is the main topic that we're going to have to cover this evening, which is the manager. It started to get very, very difficult for him, I would say. You know, fan opinion has started to turn. I think I've certainly been of the opinion that I didn't want him at the club, probably since the Burton game, just the way that we surrendered 
that two 0 lead and looked absolutely awful. You know, no no confidence or whatever, despite having dominated the early proceedings of that match. And I blame the manager. I have blamed the manager since then. And I think this week has just sort of highlighted that I don't necessarily think he knows how to change it. Where do you think it's gone wrong, James, for Hill? Uh, some of it is probably... Over, maybe, it might be down to us overestimating the quality of our players to some degree. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that um, some of the players that we have signed, despite some of their pedigrees, like your Luke Murphys, your... Um, your Chris O'Grady's and whatnot. Some of them just have not proven to be up to the task for in most games. Even though Chris O'Grady was happened recently, his most recent performance at the Wiccan game was just absolutely woeful, and what made me so frustrated with him constantly playing in November. Uh, but at the same time, so some of the tactical decisions that he makes, some of the ways that he set up, is just absolutely baffling. He, he infuriates me whenever if he's if he has to make a defensive change, that's fine. But he keeps ruining any midfield structure that they have by, by taking our only real tackler in midfield in Jason Lott and putting him in, in at centre-back instead of putting a, an actual player of that position when, whenever he can. Like, say, for example, he took off Emmanuel at, at Wickham, who was playing very poor, fair enough, but instead of putting Brockbank there, who was on the bench, he puts Lowe in there and then just completely cha- changes... Um, cha- Changes everything and just leaves us open for our midfield to get absolutely battered. It's just tactical mistakes like that that I just cannot get my head around. And he doesn't help himself with his um, with with his personality, the way he comes across in the media, the way he defends some of his some of his changes, some of his um, mistakes. It, it, he just the shoehorning of Lowe is ridiculous, isn't it? The shoehorning of putting Lowe either at centre back or right back when you know I, I don't rate him particularly. I know that Chris doesn't. But I would say he probably is the strongest out of those three in midfield. I mean, like like we've said, it doesn't necessarily say a lot. You know, I don't think Hamilton and Murphy have covered themselves in glory particularly for us. But you take out possibly the best of those three and put him into a position that he's not going to be able to perform in when you've got changes now. Because the big thing for Hill has been that he's not had options. He now has options and he's neglecting to use them. That's the frustrating yeah. thing for me. Yeah, I, I get that he sees Law as a quite reliable player. I kind of think of him similar, but I see that reliability more of him being a defensive midfielder because he does a really good job of intercepting. He covers a lot of ground in that position, and I, so I feel a lot, some of that is limited when he's been forced to play at, at right back, where he doesn't really get forward as much because because that's not his game. Um, he's in it, the ground he can cover from that position as well. It gets severely limited and. Yeah, and the shoehorning, like you say, is absolutely ridiculous. But that's just one of a few problems that I have. Let's not even talk about him putting O'Grady out on the ring where he's clearly not suited for. I was going to say, that was going to be my thing to you, Chris. He seems to have abandoned the style that he had earlier in the season, which won him a few plaudits. We seem to be playing a lot nicer football, and yet that seems to have gone out the window. Do you think that's down to personnel? Or just the stupidity of putting O'Grady out there when perhaps you know Dodu's not been in the side, hasn't been playing particularly well, but maybe better to have a natural winger out there rather mm. than an agent target man. Yeah, true, but I, I do think O'Grady get O'Grady comes in for for a lot of flack, and I suppose it's symptomatic of the entire problem of Wanderers that we just don't have very good football players in there. Um, and as I've said many many times, any manager you can't unshit shit players. You know mm. that's not they don't have that in them. They're not capable of more. So I, I shouldn't. I think we maybe shouldn't be surprised when things happen and players make mistakes because we're talking about third division players who 
you know, for the most part, will probably never play in a higher uh, higher level than this again. What frustrates me most about Hill is is going back to what I said about the green shoots of recovery. Around November time, I think it was in November December, we won three on the spin, and, and that was when, yeah, and that was, was the time. October. That was the time to kick on. But I think we've maybe won one or two games in the, the three or four months since then, uh, and that's what's most frustrating. I, I get Hill is had his hands tied with regards to injuries and things like that but he's been backed in the transfer market I mean I counted 11 out of the 18 players in the squad yesterday were players that he's brought to the to the club not to mention those that he's brought in and have moved on there uh, Valinden, Bridcup, Wright etc uh, so it's I don't think it's it's fair even to, um, to to talk about the lack of options available to him because we've had options we must have had 25 players pass through the club and, and play for the first team this season already I wonder whether he's his personality is such that he can't ever see himself it being in the wrong. So much so that he believes that any tactical tweak he makes will be will be to our benefit, which is fine. But the proof's in the pudding. I personally think Lowe is a better right back, or maybe arguably a better right back than uh, than he is in the in midfield. Because I think when he put when he plays there, it hides his weaknesses, which is his, his being on the ball. Um, and anything that he has to do when he has to push forward but being a right back it allows him to focus on what he's good at which is working hard and sticking his foot in from time to time I, I must say I, though I, I didn't hear that he played fairly poorly in that second half again having not watched the game I, I wasn't able to I yeah, I would, yeah. but Emmanuel I, I know played appallingly so it, it's yeah really he was he, he, he was he was he was very poor and he was on a booking and on his final warning, so that was a sensible choice. I, I'm not sure I particularly agree with putting Brockbank there. Um, Brockbank has made, what, half a dozen appearances for us. A couple of them at right back. I, he's not ripped up any trees there at all. Though, that said, I do totally agree with James when he's suggesting that taking Low out of that midfield weakens us significantly because Hamilton, bar a couple of nice touches and a couple of long-range efforts, didn't really show a great deal and Luke Murphy I didn't even realise he was playing until the second half so there's problems across the entire team I think up front is an issue Murphy yeah fine goal scorer but you know does he do we play in a way that maybe would require another centre forward to maybe do a bit more and that's why I think O'Grady's in there as a support striker not necessarily as a left winger but to to do some of the legwork that Murphy can't or won't do and then Dodu um, comes on and, and wanders around the pitch for for 45 minutes without really breaking much of a sweat either. So I think there's many, many different reasons why we are where we are. The manager's certainly one of them. I think that the players he's brought in is another, and his use of the players that we had, he inherited as well is, is equally bizarre. Um, I would definitely look to, to change. I think now's the time. Um, you can get him out of the club, get yeah, somebody fresh in? in. Well, I mean, everyone's got a wish list, haven't they? I think... As Jones, who used to manage Luton, would be a good option. I don't know if he'd come down to the to League Two next season. It's probably unlikely. Um, managers are willing to take on anything, to be honest with you. Well, you, you never know, do you? You never know. So he, he's got he's got a pedigree in bringing teams up from the lower leagues um, and doing so in in fairly reasonable style as well. A better, more recent record than than our mate Keith. That's for certain. Mm. Uh, it's it, it, you know you could pick any name, and I guess I'd, I'd have more confidence in them at this minute in time. Um, I just wish that he'd just keep his gob shut and just try and let his, his, his talking on the you know let the on the pitch stuff do the talking for him because we could all put up with him being a bit bonkers if he was just winning football matches and we're not. We've we've always said that, haven't we? I think that was you know it's a big thing that we had during that decent run where it was almost regardless of any problems that you could potentially see behind the scenes, it would have been completely unfair to criticise him for the comments when we were winning football matches and actually playing quite well. I think 
where, where sure. I go back to with this, and you know, again, feel free to disagree if you do. I think it's that three-game period that we had where we played Southend, Sunderland, and Shrewsbury, and Lowe and uh, Murphy got themselves sent off in the in the two games that over that period, and I think that really killed them from any kind of you know getting some kind of momentum going. But also, I think it killed us in general because then we had the Lincoln game coming up afterwards where we didn't have anyone in midfield ended up getting battered and I think we, we found it very very difficult to recover since then this poor discipline has been a big aspect I think of this Bolton team whilst Hill's been in charge but do you think it's maybe down to frustration on the players parts that they are thinking they can do better or is it just maybe something that he's instilled into them James what do you reckon uh, probably a mixture of both. Like, I think I think we do have a lot of players in our current setup that are heavily reliant on, um, on having confidence to like play well. Like Dennis Politic is one. Um, he he was obviously forced to miss um, uh, the Doncaster game through illness, which was unfortunate. But and then when he came back against Wickham, he was a shadow of the player that was tearing it up the past few games against the likes of Coventry, Tranmere, etc., where he was banging in goals and making himself a constant threat. So. Uh, I could probably I could maybe point to other players. Darcy was another one when he wasn't playing well. He just kind of lumbered around and he was anonymous. Uh, obviously, Daryl Murphy's not scored for a while and that's obviously affecting his game. He's not running around. He was never that much of a runner anyway, but he's barely running yeah. around as even as much as he used to because he's not scored for quite a while. Joe, Joe Dodo, he lumbers around and when he scores a goal. I know he scored against um, Doncaster, but that was... A you, pure fluke instead of one instead of one for his own creation. So, 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 so I don't know. We've probably got too many confidence players, but at the same time, it's down to the manager to try and install some confidence in them. And you have to wonder whether he's doing that with some of the players. You, you've obviously got your players like your Laws, your Hobbs, and whatnot, who will probably kick on it, even despite the even despite confidence not results and whatever. They'll always be the kind that graft and work hard. But we've probably got too many players in our current setup. That you know, you know. Uh, Motivation is clearly an issue, but I think it's an issue that it has to be down to the manager, from my perspective. And Chris, I'll come to you on this in a second. But I'd like to hear what you think about whether or not um, he's a poor motivator in comparison to Phil Parkinson. Because I look back, and I'm not necessarily sure I would have wanted Parky taken into this season because I think that had sort of run its course. But. Phil Parkinson has managed to motivate a championship side of players not getting paid to come out and play every week. And actually, I wouldn't have said lack of effort was really our biggest issue last season, no. more so a lack of quality. So I think that's where Hill really does have to come under fire because these players do not look arsed at the moment. No, and I think motive, matter, matter of motivation might be one thing, but I think with regards to someone like Parkinson, maybe it's a matter of respect at the same time. And I know you're talking about Hill uh, looking to, to inspire the players, but Surely, you know, it needs to work the opposite way, as well. Will the players ever be inspired by a man who you can laugh, who you laugh at when he opens his mouth? What, can you imagine what the team talks must be like? Like fucking Wuthering height. It'd be it'd be absolutely insane. So there's a lot of problems in the, in the club at this minute in time, and and I'm I'm afraid I think the manager is is a large part of that. I think he's tinkering with the squad. I think he's it, seeming inability to be able to change a game from the sidelines, be it through his subs tactical tweaks even analysing the opposition's tactical tweaks given his admission yesterday it's all very very worrying um, and, that was a very know, the, concerning revelation I remember you telling me about this yesterday the fact that he was coming out Yeah, and they made a tactical switch and we suddenly couldn't deal with it well then what on earth are you working on on the training ground week in week out 
Well, he's, he's obviously implying that his players couldn't handle it, but then that you know that's his job. And the exactly. tweak he was talking about came around at half time. And if he's done his job in the preparation for the game, then he should be under, He should have that sort of bit and statistical or data knowledge of the opposition that you know what formations they like to employ, what systems they like to play, one, two, three, or four variations of each, so that you've you've got a plan and you know how to cope depending on what they do. Yeah, if it bothers me if the I, fact that. So, sorry, I was about to say if I can add to that. Sure. At the same time, um, even if the players don't immediately notice on the football pitch, you'd think someone with the experience of Hill would be able to um, notice that tweak himself and be able to get a message across to the players to try and adapt to this sudden tweak they've made if they have done their homework, like you say. And and if he hasn't noticed that and told them, told those players, then what does that say about him as a manager? Yeah, and I don't doubt that he's done his homework on 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 his on his opponents. I'm not suggesting he just turns up blind, but it does seem it does seem like a really simple thing as, as completely outfoxed us and outfoxed him and outfoxed the team. And mm-hmm. and again, this was this was 20 minutes into a game. It's it's a slight change of formation, not you know some sort of revolutionary new tactic that's just been invented. When anyone anyone could be forgiven, I think he, he he's old school. He's clearly old school in, in the way he. He carries himself, uh, reports out the training ground. He's old school in terms of his training sessions as well. Um, and, you know, you're not going to get very far, I don't think, with modern footballers just by standing on the sidelines and clapping, you know, saying, come on, lads, work a bit harder or you know, anything like that. It's not going to work. You need to be more innovative and you need to you need to challenge people. Um, there's enough players in our team that have played at a higher level. They might not be playing at a high level, but they've played at a high level before. So they've clearly got some sort of football intelligence and capability about them, but... He doesn't seem to be the man capable of bringing it out. And the thing is, I think there has to be a counter-argument here where I play devil's advocate and say that he's had injuries and lack of availability to, as an excuse for him. And also, what I think we need to focus on is the manner of the goals that we're conceding. I'm not necessarily sure that it's... You know, I mean, don't get me wrong, I think he's culpable for a lot of the issues here. But I don't necessarily think you can legislate for the shocking nature of the goals that we conceded against Wickham and you know, as well against Coventry and well against Doncaster. That's been the key thing for me this week. You know, he's had his main uh, defenders back and yet they still seem completely and utterly incapable of defending. I don't know if that's his fault or whether it's just, you know, a problem for, from them. But I think it certainly it would be the kind of thing if I were Hill looking to try and defend myself, I would say that that's where the problems lie, to be honest. Definitely. And I think as a former defender himself, You'd expect that that would be his, his forte and that he'd be able to organise a team in, in that respect. But yeah, I mean, how many different combinations we had at centre half alone this season? Never mind at full pack. In the Talking last about week. Jay- I don't think we've had the yeah, same it's... Position last week. No, I mean, we, we, we must be on our sixth or seventh different combination. And, and you know, for all his faults, you, you, you can't be telling me that someone like Zuma has, has, has played as poorly as Nciala has in the last sort of two or three weeks. But then again, there's an argument for saying that Zuma's been the best one this season. Yeah, there's another 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 player bizarrely sidelined by Hill chose to chose to do it. But I'm just struggling to get my head around the the root cause of all the problems. When in in, you know for him in a job of this nature at this stage of his career, he should have been he should have been the sort of steady hand that Parkinson was for us two or three years prior, with that capability of of showing this, this fabled. You know, good football that he likes to play. Um, I could quite comfortably say that the second half on Saturday was one of the most miserable footballing experiences in my entire life. Um, and I put a lot of that down to him. Uh, I, I would have to agree with you, I think. I'm just going to move on to some Twitter questions that we've had 
specifically on Keith Hill. Simon Phillips, uh, a friend of mine and a, uh, a contributor to the site on occasion, has asked, would it take a winning streak of three or four games for our opinion on him to change? James, I'll come to you on that. Uh, it would certainly help things because um, it would it would almost because let's face it, lads, we're probably barring divine intervention, we're probably down in League Two. I think we can all agree on that, right? Absolutely, absolutely. All right, all right. So, so if he can start to string some wins together, then he could. Then not only can he make the claim, even if he will do it in a the cocky manner that pisses us off sometimes, but if he can say that he is starting to grind out results, he is starting to show this progress that he's been going on and on about, and we're seeing that result on the pitch instead of him just waxing lyrical about this progress that's been going on behind the scenes that obviously the fans can't see so we can't so we can't say say for sure whether it is working or not then then he then he can have some um base to say all right see look it is working it's it's taken time the patience has paid off i can understand your frustrations etc etc but 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 see the way we're playing now we can take that into league two it would definitely help but at the moment He's not. Can you see it happening though? You can't see it happening, can you? It. It would. <laughs> I personally can't see it happening. I, I'd be lying if I said um, I wouldn't. I would like to see it happen because. No, no. Sorry, I phrased that. I phrased that wrong. What I meant to say was I would. I would like to see it happen, regardless of what I think of Hill. But. Um, yeah, I, th- I think we can all agree on that. I don't think that anyone's got as big a vendetta against him that they wouldn't want to see the team win. I think that's just all we kind of want to see at this point, you know. Yeah, someone you know, going into next season with mentality. Yeah, someone silly said that um, just because we don't like Hill, we would want the team to fail. I, I remember seeing that on Twitter. And I'm just thinking that's the one of the most ridiculous opinions I've ever heard. If you're a proper fan of the football club, regardless of what you think of the manager, um, you'd want them to succeed. I imagine there were quite a few Bolton fans who absolutely despised Neil Lennon when he came in, but when he was starting to kick the team at the arse and get a few results. I imagine he, he was starting to turn a few people's heads around initially. Yeah. Um, our only in Firth has also asked, uh, do you think Hill can turn this nine-game slump around? Will the imminent availability of Brian Crawford and possibly Georgie be his knight in shining armour? Chris, what do you think? Well, he hasn't shown any evidence so far that he's capable of doing it, but you know, just to dip back into that previous question, of course it would change everyone's opinion because all we want at the end of the day is to be happy and to win. Doesn't don't really ultimately don't really care who the manager is if we're, if we're successful and that's what we all want. Now I know success is relative for us at this moment in time, but all we want for next even right in this season off was that we then at least have some evidence that there's a positive thought and a plan going forward for the team under Hill. That's why the disjointed approach we've got so far seems so um, so disappointing to people. I think that's why people are turning a lot quicker than they might have done already. With regards to the players that that Ian mentions there, you know maybe I mean. The Crawford I saw in the first couple of months of the season was was, was tidy. One said he was especially not necessarily a game changer. Brian had a good debut, but was was poor afterwards at uh, Coventry. No idea about this Spurs lad. Don't think he could get an Ipswich team by the end, much like in Seattle. So I, I'd be surprised if he was much better than what we've already got. I must but, say, yeah, you know, I know who Ipswich fans were not exactly glowing in their recommendations. Yeah, I, I no, I'm 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 hopeful, but I'm not confident. Yeah, I, I don't. I think that sort of categorises all of us. To be fair, um, we were, we're talking about uh, whether or not we think these players are good enough. Andrew James has asked those who want Hill out. What makes them think that we had a right to beat teams in the top ten with a team of players rejected by other League One teams? James, do you think that's a fair assessment of our squad? Because I think a, a, a lot of times this season we've actually looked at the team and thought this is a very very competitive side. And other managers have said it as well. I mean, Simon Grayson did when we drew against Blackpool. What do you reckon? Well. 
well, uh, there might it's be some. Hard, yeah, I was about to say there probably is maybe some of that naivety among some parts of the fan base that we should be sweeping these teams apart and whatnot. But I don't think it's as widespread as some people think. Um, I think I think a lot of people have still probably still have those Premier League and um, and those nostalgia areas from from Parkinson where we were doing really well in League One and in the Premier League, etc. Maybe clouding some of their vision a bit, but I don't, don't I don't think people are uh, the majority of people are that naive in not that naive really in response to what what we've been through in the past in the past few months financially and what we went through under Ken that last championship season how very poor he looked throughout but at the same t- at the same time people point to his earlier tenure when he when he had these players who weren't really who weren't really fit but even then they were grinding their bollocks off against some of the teams that are up there like we've grinded out two good results against Sunderland who have been who at fi- who at first were still challenging around playoffs under Jack Ross even though they were a bit under thing and and we're beginning their resurgence on the parky the next time we face them. We've beat the Fleetwood we've, game as well. I think. Yeah, we've beaten. Yeah, we've yeah we've beaten Fleetwood. Um, we we With took we took an impressive Oxford side to a nil nil draw. And should have won it as well, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly. So so there is so there is the makings of a competitive team there. But we but like like Chris was saying, we've just not nearly brought out that that consistency enough and any good player or any grind or effort that we saw in those games just seems to have been completely abandoned from November onwards for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chris, do you have the same I, opinion? Do you think this team is, is you know not as good as we thought it was originally? I, I don't think we're under any illusions that this isn't a very good team. I mean, we've all said it more more than more than once. Um, but, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree that we should, we should be, you know, we're above our station thinking that we should win. Well, What's the point of coming to the game if you don't think you're going to be competitive or at least win? And that's where you can forgive teams losing every week if they're, if they're at least appearing to be organised, if they're at least appearing to put in the effort that we all demand. And that even if they do lose and lose to a better team, you just say, fair enough, but at least we tried. And I think with, with, with afternoons like yesterday when you, you doubt that effort, uh, fairly or unfairly, that's when I think people get pissed off. And I know that's certainly what disappoints me more than anything is when you come away from it and you're probably not going to be uh, expecting to see the players laughing and joking going off the pitch, but it's just a, another sort of resigned shrug of the shoulders. I was watching Jason Lowe at full time. He, you know, he was the only one that didn't immediately sort of dive down the tunnel and get out of the rain. You know, at least he looked like maybe it's because he's been here a little while and he understands what the, the place is like at the moment. I think his character has never been in question, really, Jason Lowe. No, no, definitely not. And footballer, but he's always. I think no, he's, he's clearly, clearly, you know, a, a six out of ten footballer, but a decent fella at the same time. There's no arguments there. Um, but I, I just wonder. I, there's lots of different things that I, make, that, that I wonder about with this lot. Um, I, I'm just hopeful that whatever happens, we, we can just start finally start to to win a few games and at least look like we can do something next season, even if that's just a full-on hope. Speaking of next season, the final question uh, I'll put to you on this subject, I think we've probably covered it to death at this point, is from Liam McNeil. Are Hill and Flitcroft the right people to take charge next season in League Two? Quick answer, Chris. Uh, unfortunately not. James? No, not for me. And uh, Not for me either. I think 
I think we can all agree, and I think most Bolton fans listening to this will probably agree, it's not going to work for us next season. I, I mean, I don't know who we necessarily go for. I was always a big fan of Kevin Nolan. I know, Chris, you're sceptical of that as an option, but you I know just what? Think I, someone I, with I, the club's I, best interest at heart might be the tonic. Yeah, I think you know, there's definitely an argument for it, and I only said no, say no to Nolan because of a long-held irrational dislike. But yeah, <laughs> I, I think there's definitely there's definitely an argument for it. I do. I, I don't think we would go down that route at this moment. I do. I do, would still be surprised not to see Hill in charge on the first day of next season. But you know, if we lose we every game between, if we lose every game between now and the ne- in, in April, then who knows? James, is there anyone out there that takes you fancy? Uh, I mean, Nathan Jones was a good shout, but I'm not sure. But obviously, he doesn't have the connection, and maybe that's what we need right now. But I certainly wouldn't turn him down. If we're talking about connection, though. We- there's only there's only one man really that I know who's available and really wants a job and that's really David Lee from the academy. But again, he's never really managed the first team though, so would he would he would he be the smartest option? I I don't know. It's a it's a really tough one. I wouldn't necessarily know who I'd want to replace Hill at this moment in time, but at the same time, I also know that I wouldn't want him leading us into next season. Yeah, I think we're in unknown territory a little bit, aren't we? Because, you know, going down to League Two without trying to sound arrogant or anything, you know, we're Bolton Wanderers, we've not been there in some time. It's not really a level that we know particularly well when we're sort of looking at managers or even players for that matter. So I, I wouldn't be averse to David Lee. I wasn't averse to David Lee at the start of the season, given, you know, it was the young players that were coming through and it's the young players that I can see being the bulk of our team next season. Anyway, yeah, it's a big on. world as well, you know. Maybe look, looking abroad might be an option. I know we've... we've... We've discussed a few people, you know, off, off the off the podcast from time to time. It's a big world out there, you know. We don't necessarily need to be somebody from from this country or, or from Europe, even. You know, who used to say we couldn't look a bit further afield and maybe be a bit adventurous in, in our in our appointment. No, I couldn't agree more. I, th- I think any option that work for it's good. worked for people like Huddersfield and what I've been in the past. Granted, it's in the Championship, and I'm not suggesting that you can get someone like David Wagner. But you know, who who were, who would have heard of Bushia Dortmund 2's assistant manager before then? Not many people. No, exactly, and maybe that is you know why we've got this director of football in, or why we've got Peter Kenyon in with reasonable connections. Maybe we can look yeah. at the field and get you know not just players but also staff into to help us move on. Anyway, I think we've probably done that to death, boys. Unless you uh, have any burning comments that need to be made on that subject. No issue, no. Uh, no, I think let's move on to one of the other things that happened this week that caused a little bit of controversy amongst the site and its relationship with its loyal Bolton Wanderers supporters. Remy Matthews. We all know that Remy Matthews is a has the capacity to be a competent keeper. Chris, you can, you know, interject at any yep. time. You, feel you know, he was he there. was excellent yesterday. Completely I thought he made, he made at least two decent saves, only let down by yet again, let down by uh, by Crap poor defending. So no, yeah. no carry on, mate. No there's no arguments no. there. No, it's fine. Um, and you know, he felt the need to come out and say that he'd been receiving quite a lot of abuse from fans uh, in the aftermath of the commentary match, a game that I don't necessarily think he was particularly culpable for either of the goals. But we know what Remy is like. He has these moments where he you know, has brain fades. We saw it at Wigan. We saw it on the opening day against Wigan. Uh, James, I'm sure you remember that. We're well in that game oh. and that mistake you know, took it away from us completely. Oh, I'm getting PTSD. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I, and again, it's like Jason Lowe. I'm, by all accounts, Remy Matthews is a very, very nice bloke. But he felt the need to come onto Twitter uh, voicing his concern about what we were saying about him. And Chris, you wrote an article coming back at it that wasn't really well received. Um let, let, let's talk about it. What was your thinking behind that article? 
No, I mean, uh, fair, fair play on Remy for, for coming out and having a social media account in the first place. That's his choice. I can't imagine what it, it must be like as a professional sportsman, um, you know, coming back after a game, good or bad, and, and reading strangers' opinions of yourself. So I've got no issue at all with him. Defended himself to strangers, defended himself to me. No, you know, that, that totally is right, much as it is for other people, myself included, to have opinions on, on how he played. I thought he was... He was Fair to Midland against Coventry. I would have liked him maybe to have done a little bit better for the first goal. But then, conversely, no arguments at all about his performance on Saturday despite conceding two. I just wonder, that's, I suppose the point of it was just about trying to, try to work out whether any that kind of um, approach from him was symptomatic maybe of a, of a wider problem in the squad where they're not necessarily knuckling down and getting on with things and showing a desire to improve things on the field. Instead, it's a little bit of, you know, woe is me type feeling on the on the, the on social media, which is, is is perfect entitlement. But, you know, if he, if he doesn't want to be challenged on it, don't tweet it. You know, if I didn't want to be challenged on the responses I got, I, maybe I shouldn't have written it. It, it's, it cuts both ways. Interested to know what you boys thought of it. And I'm, I'm a big lad. I can, I can take your honest opinions. <laughs> well, James, I was going to come to you next on what your view on the situation was. Because I know that Reese wrote a counter article defending Remy. Obviously, he's not able to, to talk about that here. But I know that obviously you had a view on the situation. What what, what was your reading of it? Um, I, I think well, let's start with the title because the title was always going to draw fans regardless. Because it it was no. I can imagine, I can fully understand why people saw it as clickbaity, but and it kind of invites people to just have a dig at us without actually reading the, the article itself but the article's content itself I thought was was fairly reasonable mostly and um, I, I, I kind of agree with with how Chris said things how players should maybe act on social media whether they should have one in the first place but at the same time you can't restrict those people if they want to call people out on social media or if they want to defend themselves or if they want to have a go <laughs> blogs like us when we criticise them then that's fully within their right I've got no issue with that it was just it's not the first time is it you know we've had people like uh, David Rita and Josh Vella come at us in the past for things that we've said etc I know that Mark I passed that um, he rated Josh Vella poorly in a Bolton News um, article once and Vella came back at him and had a go and said that you know why on earth could you possibly rate me like that so I think it's obviously a thing that depends player per player what they're position on you know or whether they think they played well or not or whether they even read these kind of things my article that i wrote on the subject was basically the point of a fan site is to be that little bit more critical or be that little bit more positive depending on how the team is doing we don't have to fit into these journalistic regulations where we you know we can say what we want and we will say what we want you know i got stick uh, for what i said about liam bridcar i got stick about what i said about ethan hamilton this week so he was crap against commentary he was crap against commentary. You know, I justified it. Chris justified his reasoning. I don't, I think there's a difference between attacking somebody personally when you just, you know, have an out and out statement saying you're effing this, you're effing that. If you're coming up with concrete reasons and it's a reasoned debate, I really didn't see the problem. And also, I didn't really see why, from these players' perspectives, they actually care about people who've never played professionally in the game, never going to play professionally in the game. Do our opinions really matter to these people? Surely, if their manager says they've played rubbish, then they should be listening to him more than us. But that's my, that's my two pound worth on it anyway. I think. Yeah, um, I think to play devil's advocate it, there slightly, I think it's um, more of a response of seeing, you know, obviously the fans of the club that you play for getting on your back and whatnot, and possibly being seen as being negative. 
do do they want these players at the club? Why are you knocking my confidence, etc.? When I when I play for you, I present you, and in Remy Matthews' case, uh, stuck around when all the when all the financial situations went down and all that. And he did strike in fairness, though. I think that is worth mentioning. Yeah, oh, yeah, he did. Yeah, and I think I can I can see I can see some players maybe not not talk about this particular incident, but in, in general to receive that sort of criticism would think right. Well, I'm going to show you. You know, I'm going to turn up next week and I'm going to I'm going to work extra. You know, someone like Jason Lowe, for example, if he had Twitter and he imagined that the, the crap he must have got he would have had over the last couple of years. I, I can imagine he would have read that and he used it as a bit of an inspiration to spur himself on to prove these doubters wrong. Obviously, all everyone's got a different character and responds to these things differently. Um, it's just curious, though, isn't it? How how you know if someone invites that sort of thing, then someone responds, then you question someone's you know whether they should respond or not, and it just ends up in an absolute cesspit of of social media nonsense. No, it was it was a situation that I don't think you know anyone came out of particularly well, and I, like I say, you know, we're not attacking people personally. Our job as a fan site is, you know, we have opinions. We get, we're passionate about the club. There's the reason why we do this. You know, we're not getting paid to do this. We, we do care about the club. We want our opinions heard. It's almost like a therapeutic kind of thing for us. I don't think anything that was said to Remy by us, especially, could possibly be considered abuse. You know, saying that you're not had a good game is saying you're not had a good game. We're not attacking him personally or anything like that. And I think it's, you know, useful now that we've had possibly this experience and we can just move on and maybe. You know, let's just try and back them for the end of the season. But you know, I don't think it's out of the question at all. And again, feel free to join in, boys. It's not out of the question for us to be critical when they're playing badly. Which, let's be honest, this week they have played very, very badly. And I think it's probably no no coincidence that, that the rise in popularity of blogging and things like that over the last few years within Bolton Wanderers, sort of, you know, the world of Bolton Wanderers, is it's been inextricably linked to the the poor the poor time we've had. You know, because yeah, we've no, all got yeah. a lot, we've all got a lot more to to be unhappy about. Because the team that we, we love and the team we've been to watch, we've watched for donkey's years uh, are going through unbelievable amounts of of, of woe and strife. If we were, never, if we were Manchester City or well, maybe not Manchester City. If we were Liverpool, <laughs> we wouldn't have anything to write about because who wants to read happy clappy stuff? You know, what, what's the, where's the where's the interesting stuff in that? People want to read. Um, I find, well, at least I do. I want to read things about the game. Uh, and about people's opinions as to what happens around the game. If we win every week, I think that, that desire would be far, far reduced. Yeah, I mean, I'm biased because you know I, I'm very grateful for the platform this fan site has given me to be able to you know express my opinion on my club, which for, for years I didn't you know have that opportunity. But you know, it, it, as you say, people aren't be wanting to listen to all this happy, clappy, positive stuff if everything's going wrong. Do I want that to happen to my club again? Absolutely. No one is jumping on this bandwagon because we're benefiting from it, especially, like I say, no one has enjoyed this week of us losing three games in three matches. But, you know, it, it, it is what it is. I think moving forward, one of the things that we need to talk about, obviously, given that it seems, well, I say it seems, we're going to be in League Two next season. That's pretty much a given now. It's a matter of time. We've lost the last three. It doesn't look as though there's going to be a massive upturn in fortunes unless something drastic changes. If we do manage to pick up and we go into next season with a little bit more positivity, is there anyone on this side, and I come to you, James, on this first, that you desperately, desperately want to stay in next season? Uh, well, well, one of the main players, I've already said, has already been tied down, Dennis Politics, so, so that's a lot of our flair sorted. I I've, I'd like Jason Lord to stick around if if not for his football ability. He's a very good head, calm head, 
and have around, and he's a he's a definite grafter, which we'll probably need in League Two. So, do I'd you like, think he would? I don't. I don't know. I know he's a North, he's could, a Northwest could, lad. Could be, so like, could be a matter of finance as well, couldn't it, James? If you think you know, if we his contract's up ended this season, we've got to cut costs even further. And I'm sorry, but the high, the high earners have got to be the first to go, whether we want them to or not. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 this is just purely um, who, who I'd want to stick around out the current squad. Sure. Fa- financial problems aside, but yeah, I'd like him to stick around, and I think there there would be a possibility because he is a Northwest lad. Um, he, he'd probably want to stick around the Northwest, though he could sign for maybe the likes of, I don't know Salford or Blackpool or whatever. Um, I, I, Salford I think... was sniffing around him in January, didn't we? we? We sort of got a little bit of a rumor that on deadline day there'd been some kind of interest from Salford. Yeah, I think I think we did hear something, but uh, I don't know how concrete that was. But the thing is, if you're going to stick for play for Lee Two side, why not stick around the one where you're going to be? To be the be the club captain, you probably know that you're likely to get games regardless, whether that's under Hill or another manager. They'll probably put the faith in you because they know you're a, you're a grafter, which is what we'll need at this level. But anyway, other players. Um, I mean, I would say Ray Matthews, but it depends because um, I know he did well at League Two level with Plymouth, but I don't know. I think it's one of those situations where maybe the ship sailed. I think maybe there might be, a, you know, an yeah. argument for like with Parkinson. Would it be nice? Maybe, but you know, does both parties need to move on? That is also another possibility. Yeah, it just it just it just depends more really on whether we can get another keeper because um, obviously we're relying on Matty Alexander. But in my opinion, he's not close to being ready for first team. So. No, definitely not. It depends whether it would be easier to keep Remy around or just get a new face in. We'd have to see. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that, I, uh, Darcy, if we could keep Crawford, I'd be very happy with that. And It's a struggle, I, isn't it, at that point? Yeah, it's a struggle. We've already got Edwards hmm. and Brock back on the contract. I'm not sure how well this will go down with Sword fans, but I'd actually like to see Zuma stick around. Cause... I, I would I would as well. Chris, yeah. Chris, what do you reckon to Zuma? Yeah, I'd like to see the majority of the youngsters that started the season kept uh, and maybe given a bit more prominent of a more prominent role um only for you know to, to let them be the, the bedrock of the squad as we build forward a few experienced heads in there uh, I wouldn't mind the two fullbacks Emmanuel and, and Fleming to stay if that was possible granted Fleming's probably unlikely to drop down into league two yeah, Joe Bunny no him. idea yeah no no idea about Joe Bunny what sort of football player what sort of player he is um, I'm interested to see you know I imagine if, if, if it was I was the manager and relegation was confirmed then I'd be you know Anyone that was out of contract this season, I wouldn't play them anymore. I'd play any any other young lads and let them get a bit of experience. Yeah, they might lose a few games, get a few tonkins, but I'm standing in much better stead than not doing. I'd be interested to see Farl given more of a chance if possible. Um, Brock Bank and Edwards, people like that. Darcy, if we can persuade him to stay, maybe the change manager might might improve our chances. Adam Senior, I'd get him back in the side as well as Zuma, no problem at all. Alexander, I've only seen him play a couple of times, so I don't really know whether he's ready or not. But you've got to guess for his age, he's probably got a bit of growing to do just yet. So yeah, if we can keep Matthews around, he'd be great in League Two. I've got no doubt about that. But again, I do wonder whether you know the finances will dictate who we can and who we can't keep. I've got, I don't think Matthews is out of contract till the next season. No, um, no, no, he's so out of contract this season. It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting to see if he would be prepared to stay. I can imagine there would be teams that. You know, League One and Championship level, it would take him. Whether it would be a first choice or backup, but then you know, I think like your Murphy, the two Murphys, low, low grade, 
most of the players that he'll sign in January until the end of this season, you're probably looking at them moving on as well. So I think there's probably a good solid basis of, of you know, 10 or 12 of them there that we've got at the moment. Not necessarily in the first team, but those that did start the season that would be with my preferred choices to keep. Another summer of upheaval awaits, though, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Well, we'd like, I think it's 21 or 22 players out of contract, so mm-hmm. not exactly sport for choice on people that no, are around. No, no, that's right. Which, which is why I don't understand the comments that you made about Farland and Delaney and other players, you know, saying, oh, they're definitely not ready, they're nowhere near ready. And Delaney, for God's sake, was playing for uh, AFC Rumble in the first half of this appearances if memory serves I mean, mm. that, that, that one's a strange one I don't understand why he decided to try and irk the players who are guaranteed to be with us next year one of his motivational master strokes oh, well it's an odd one isn't it he did it with Zuma and it seemed to pay off a little bit it obviously it killed uh, any confidence that James Weir had um, I, I, think, I think it's a strange one again it's another one that you know we've talked about it before whether or not you'd want Hill there do these players really want to be playing this season given what he's been saying about um, we've got uh, a couple of Twitter questions on this as well going forward into next season. Chris Merrills has asked, do you think League 2 is the correct place slash time for FB to implement their Moneyball approach? James, what do you reckon to that? I've, well, we're probably playing Moneyball anyway because a majority of our squad are going to be out of contracts by the end of this season anyway, so it might just be just by circumstance that they'd have to play Moneyball. Whether it's the best idea for League 2, I have no idea. I associate that more with being a being a small fish in a big pond rather than being rather than vice versa. But no, I think that's a good point. I think that's a very good point. But I don't know. I'm I'm not I'm not aware of any real precedent for it, so it could be worth a try. But I'm not that familiar with the logistics of Moneyball, to be honest, to be able to comment on whether it would be a success in League Two. Yeah, the follow the follow up to that, Chris, was that uh, with the embargo and league restrictions, is it too big a risk considering you know the moneyball approach of probably plucking players from non-league with very little experience of, of league two? Again, I have no frame of reference. I don't know how difficult it is. Do you do you think trying to get players like Farl and you know George Thomason or anyone who's maybe ripping it up in the national league would that be a sensible approach for it? Yeah, well, it works for people like Peterborough, doesn't it? They've made a, made millions and millions from plucking the best players from non-league and and taking them into league football, and they they've they've gone straight into League One or, or higher at times. We've played them in the Championship before with players like Madison and Michael Smith and people like that in the past. So yeah, I mean, other people can do it. So why can't we? I, I just think that the the back to my point before about using the the young youngsters more. Yeah, he he'll maybe doesn't trust them as much, but embargoes and, and, and wage limits and caps and things like that may force his hand next season so surely it, it makes more sense to get to know those players in that sort of environment now than come the first day next season when pressure was ramped up even higher because James you know right and saying in a matter of speaking we're, we'd be a big fish in a small pond but make no bones about it when August comes around and the season starts the only thing big about us will be the stadium there'll be nothing else in the memories we've got um, I think it's really important that going forward we, we have a, a little touch of humility about us and we we appreciate the fact that we, we were you know a sort of so-called big club for a time um, but those days are long gone um, there's going to be a lot of empty seats a lot of space to spread out That's and an interesting point because so, I, I, I would have thought mm. that going into League 2 perhaps the best thing for us would have been to have that sort of big fishing uh, small pond attitude sort of like trying to swap teams away etc et I know it In an ideal well, world yeah in an ideal world, definitely, but we've seen with people like Sunderland when they've dropped down into League One, it's taken them a long, you know, good 
couple of years to get out, a couple of managerial changes and no small amount of players coming in and players coming out. It's, it's much like when we got relegated from the Premier League, you know, where the Championship would have been a nice holiday for 12 months while we come and have a, you know, revisit some old grounds that we used to come and see. But then we'll get back up to the Premier League, no problem, because, you know, we're, we're Bolton, we've got some good some good players in there who've played in the Premier League and then, you know, look, look where we are 10 years later. No, that's a very good point. I, I, I just think we show a bit too much respect to these sides and I think it comes and bites us in the arse at some point. I certainly feel as though uh, when we were in League One the first time under Parkinson, that job of getting us promoted should have been done a lot quicker. And yet we mm. were going to places like Chesterfield and uh, Rochdale and Oldham and not picking up any kind of results when realistically with the players we had and the name that you've got on the front of the shirt, I, I really feel as though we should be going to this league with a bit of an arrogance. I, I think an arrogant setup could could possibly benefit us. James, what do you think to that? Mm, I don't know. It's I don't know. It's hard to call. Um, I cannot. the The only thing that I can really take heart from is that um, the last time we were in League Two, even despite all of our ma- massive, massive problems that were starting to mount up in the eighties, we bounced back up straight away. So it shows that we can do it, even if times have changed massively from from that point of view. And playing and playing a sort of similar strategy, it back in that time um, to get to get us promoted. Digging from non-league to get some of these players, a, a few who turned out to be legends for us and pushed us forward. Um, so I can, so I, that's the only really thing I can take apart from otherwise. I'm not sure whether the mentality of being a um, big club in a in a small pond, so to speak, w- would do us any favors. I, I don't know, I don't know, because because yeah. <laughs> I'm not I'm not entirely I'm not entirely I'm not entirely convinced we went into that League One season. Uh, under Phil Parkinson the same way either because we, we'd we'd all had a terrible championship um, getting relegated under Leonard, not everything that happened with him getting spanked and playing mostly our academy kids for the last few games of the season and carrying a majority squad of players that had, had, that had let us down quite a lot and, and that quite a lot of fans wouldn't have mind being seen shoved out the door at that point no, I agree. That certainly was the case. I think you know the people like Weeter and Prattley managed to sort of redeem themselves a little bit in our eyes then. But I think um, Chris, I remember you saying at the time that uh, it was you know, almost like a fun experience going down into League One because it was you know you're winning games every week, you've had years and years and years struggling to try and pick up ten wins a season or so. But uh, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. I was going to say just sort of like a follow up, boys, just before we move on to some of the more fun aspects on this. What has been a relatively depressing podcast thus far. Uh, do you think success next season is promotion or is it just another season of rebuilding? James, I'll come to you first. If if I'm honest with myself, it's probably rebuilding. But yeah. but at the same time, I don't want to see us down near, down near the bottom end, mixing it around with the lower leagues that we usually see with the likes of Morecambe and, and whatnot. That, that would be depressing, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. I don't want to see us down there with the barrels and the salt and the um, I don't know and Port Vale's or Moors, maybe. Yeah, yeah, Solihull Moors or the Port Vale's of the world. I'd I'd at least want us to still be around top half, but uh, I I don't know. It's it's a really hard thing to measure because obviously because even Keith Hill says himself uh, that whatever league we're in, promotion will be the aim, and I'd I'd like it's a lot of pressure, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's not just pressure on himself, pressure on himself, but it adds expectation onto all of us, which is probably um, 
cause some of, some of my fans possibly to to be be upset with Keith Keith Hill in some way for playing devil's advocate. Well, he said that, hasn't he, Hill? He said that you know that the expectation um, is possibly something that maybe the fans needed to temper. Chris, what is your expectation for next season in League Two? Yeah, I think you know being sensible. Then I think it would be wise to temper those expectations. But like I said earlier on in the show, in the podcast, what's the point of going to football if you don't want to win? You know, it used to annoy me those those years we'd play Chelsea at the Reebok every in the Premier League every year we'd lose sort of three or four five nil. You still turn up, still go every time, and um, because you'd have the hope that that would be the one occasion that we'd win. You know, yeah, granted, you'd be absolutely it, gutted if you missed it. Yeah, exactly. And so I think you're both right to say that the pressure Hill's put upon himself is, is you know, maybe a sign of his own belief, you know, his confidence in himself. Some would probably call it arrogance. Um, but yeah, if we don't win our first sort of five or six games on the spin next season, then I, I don't think he'll be here. Whether he deserves to start the season off or not is another matter. But yeah, I think it's going to, you know, no matter what happens in the summer, no matter when we're, if we are finalising the squad three days before the season starts, like we tend to, don't mm. think it makes any difference. I think people are going to come into expecting us to win every single game because of the comment, exact comment that you guys said earlier on. Because Bolton Wanderers and we're in League Two, and it's only ten years ago we were in Europe. You know, everything else goes out of the window. It's going to be, it's going to be an horrible, an horrible season. I think in uh, <laughs> if things don't start well. Yeah, and we're the idiots because we'll still be there anyway. Moving on, we've got two more things that I'd like to cover just before we go. With made reasonable time I think on this podcast Chris I'm going to come to you for this I think we might try and make this a regular thing <laughs> uh, I'm going to call it Conspiracy Corner I th- well you, you called it Conspiracy Corner I'm going to nick that uh, take it come come on and tell us something interesting that you have heard on the grapevine this week you can discuss no problem so this is not my um, not my doing this is not this is literally an overheard conversation at half time on Saturday from a, a fan who I was uh, I was talking with just while I was having my hot chocolate, explaining about the Ronan Darcy situation. Now this bloke was very very confident in his opinion that, coming from a member of Darcy's family himself, that uh, Darcy isn't injured. Darcy doesn't have a foot injury. Darcy has been dropped because of an a disagreement between himself and his manager, if you can believe that, because of Darcy's <laughs> unwillingness to sign a contract offered to him by Wanderers, which was described in no uncertain terms as a piss take. Apparently £500 a week was on the table for Darcy to sign a couple of year contract. He's turned around and said, no chance I'm worth more than that. Keith's got the hump. Darcy's now uh, sitting on the sidelines, supposedly injured, but mm, do you believe that? I'm, I'm not sure I particularly do. Uh, so what will be the outcome there? Who knows? Will one of them back down? I would, I would hope so, because we're, we, despite what I wrote a couple of weeks ago, on the evidence of yesterday, we're a much better team with the lad in the side. <laughs> uh, so let's hope they, I hope they can come back and uh, and, and fix the differences. Uh, but there you are, conspiracy corner. Th- what, what do you think of that, boys? I mean, I must admit, I, I have heard the same thing. Um, you know, we're in a, again, we're in a privileged position with Love that we get a little bit of snippets of information from sources, and that is something that I had, <clears throat> excuse me, also heard. Um, and to be honest with you, from if if it is true, from Ron Darcy's perspective. I'm absolutely all for him taking that stance. I think he has been one of our better performers this season. We certainly don't look a better team with him out of it now. Um, even though you know against Tramir, there was an argument for that. Um, and if he's being offered five hundred uh, pounds a week, which at his age is probably a lot of money, but when he was attracting interest from Premier League Leicester City not too long ago, 
why on earth would you take that up to then have a season in League Two? I don't know. What do you think about it, James? Just one more. If I just may just say, James, oh, yeah, before you on, pop in on, there, on, with regards to the, the money situation, there was a striker we had on trial this summer. I think it was Key. I can't remember exactly if it was or not. The, the old guy that we had on trial. Um, and the guy that I know at one told me that we offered him £600 a week for a 12-month contract to sign. What, Billy Key um, from Stanley, not, do you mean? I, I, it might not be. I might be mis, mis, uh, misremembering the name of the guy, but it was an old striker in his, in his mid to late thirties, and he played at Bradford and people and places like that. And, and we'd offered him a, a wage that was a third of what he was on. At his oh, Billy club. Clark, do you mean? Yes, Clark. Clark. That's the, that's the one. Yeah, we'd we'd offered him six hundred pound a week, but he's playing in League Two now on a, a significantly higher wage. So he's, he's got a form. Bit, I think on the Holloway. We've got yeah, we've got form for it. We to we to obviously. Was another one that 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 got put paid to uh, to his desire to stay because we weren't prepared to offer him anything like what he was already earning. Never mind what he wanted. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, I mean, yeah, James, go on. What do you think about this Darcy situation? Uh, in in a way, I can kind of understand why they offer it because it is Ronan Darcy's first ever professional contract, and obviously, FV themselves are going to try and manage the finances as best they can. We know that they're not loaded and. If, if they can try and save money wherever they can, then I, I don't blame them for trying. But at the same time, Ron Darcy is one of our most promising academy prospects. And if you want to keep him around and then and then maybe in the future sell him, sell him on for a big value or have him be one of our core players to try and push us up the league either next season or the season after, etc., etc., then... Then, then tr- at least give uh, even if you're going to lowball the start, at least offer him some a, a bit more reasonable that would be, that would probably be closer to the value that that you'd. Yeah, that it's you'd... an investment, isn't it? It's an investment in the player, and, and if we do all believe that he's destined for greater things, then you know, double it a thousand pound a week. It's 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 big bucks for you to all of us lot. For footballers, it's not. And if you were to sell him for half a million quid, you know, you, you you're making ten times that back. Exactly, and and I think Mark Arles has alluded to it as well. We cannot afford another Luca Connell situation to lose a very value because that has just been a symptom of Bolton Wanderers over these last ten years or so. And I'm, I'm, yeah, we I'm don't sell not well. the only one who's sick of it, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm hoping that's the kind of policy FE want to FE wants to change. Uh, t- t- but because of that, I can also also understand if it's true why Keith Hill has left him out. If it's not an if it's not an injury situation, because at the same time, if if he wants to have any sort of presence in his dressing room, he can't let supposed um, ca- characters or or possible fracas to to affect the mood of the dressing room in a, in a way. But yeah, although I dare say, mate. Whether or not it's true, and obviously we have to stress this is a conspiracy corner theory. We don't actually know what is. Yeah, exactly. But let's be honest. Keith Hill could have an argument in a box, in a glass box, on his own, couldn't he? So, let's be honest. If anyone's going to be causing fracas in the changing room, I would expect it to be the manager rather than Ronan Darcy. <laughs> um, and yeah, you see, you see, you see my point. <laughs> anyway, moving on to the final thing, Chris. I know you hate games on podcasts. <laughs> uh, we won't, we won't be mentioning anything. But one of the Twitter questions, I quite I think. It as well um, was from Adam Grady which asked the question if you could use a time machine to bring back one player from the 1996-97 season at their age form and quality at the time and stick him straight into the squad who would you pick he picks Per Franson Chris I'm going to come to you who would you pick 
Oh, God, good question. So 1996-97, that's the year that we uh, we got promoted under Colin Todd with our goal that's, record. I think it's 100 I mean, points. Oh, what, I'm sorry, yeah. 100 goals and then whatever. Yeah, I mean, an easy one is my, one of my all-time favourite Bolton player, John McGinley. Uh, but then a player that I think this team could benefit from, uh, someone like Jamie Pollock, able to put his foot in, capable of chipping in with a couple of goals as well. Um, proper hard bastard that won't mess about. I don't think that would go amiss in our soft ass midfield at the moment but John McGinley will always be my first answer on that a proper goal scorer someone that had run through brick walls for the club uh, what, what a man yeah uh, James I don't know how familiar you are with that uh, season in particular but uh, anyone that you could pick out yeah you might want in this one yeah obviously John McGinley would probably be most people's first shout um, uh, I can't remember was uh, Jason McAteer with us around that time I think he'd gone because no, he'd gone. Got relegated yeah, yeah. Ah, bugger so you'd have, you'd have people like Brannigan in uh, Brannigan in, in net. So you'd have Nathan Brannigan Blake, my choice, by the way, Fairclough, Taggart, Franson, Scott Sellers, Jimmy Phillips, Alan Thompson, Bergson, Johansson, David Lee, Sheridan, people like that. Yeah. Absolute like legend. Yeah, half, f- yeah, Franson and Pollock are probably the best shouts because I definitely improve how, how soft that midfield is and how static they mm. are sometimes. Mm. And like I say, I think my choice would probably be Keith Brannigan, just a very, very safe pair of hands in net. Remy, please don't attack me on Twitter. Um, I, but I must say, oh, for a centre-half pairing of Chris Fairclough and Jerry Taggart at the moment, based on the shambles that we have watched this week. Anyway, I think that is all we can uh, say for this podcast, boys. Um, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Uh, this is hopefully going to be a, a fairly regular occurrence for us in the coming week, possibly a pre-match podcast and a post-match podcast. Will, at this point, would normally ask you to plug your socials, but I think any Bolton fan worth their salt knows where to find us, gentlemen. Do you agree? I mean, I hope so, especially because <laughs> some of us love writers now are putting our Twitter handles in on the article links now. Yeah, well, I noticed idea? that. Is that I, I noticed <laughs> that. Is that is that a new uh, a new policy decision, boys? Well, Mr. Bolton's not here on the podcast, so he has to implement his style somewhere, Chris. It, uh, it's just more He's of probably a, off, off planning a planning a protest somewhere, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, it's just sort of a measure to yeah, it's just sort of a measure to make sure that who that whoever posts the article they know it's that person's opinion. But well, yeah, man, so Bolton fans far and wide can know where to direct their hate. Absolutely. Um, anyway, like I say, I think that is all for episode 131 of the Line of the Street podcast. Uh, feel free to say goodbye, boys. So say goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, James. Goodbye, James. And it's goodbye from me, Selavi.